Testament, the book of Acts. And as you do that, uh, I'd like to ask you to find the little printout there in your Sunday Courier sermon outline. And I'd like to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit being introduced to the church. If, you've, if you were here the last number of weeks, we've been talking to you about Jesus uh, promising his disciples that he would send the Spirit to them and that they wouldn't be alone. And now we find the fulfillment of that promise right here in Acts chapter 2. But before we get there, I'd like to draw your attention to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Luke is writing this. He is the author of this book and, of course, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, he wrote about what Jesus did in the Gospels. And then he picks up the story of the followers of Jesus after the ascension. And in verse number 3, he says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave, uh, he didn't go to heaven. He stayed on earth. And he appeared and he disappeared and he reappeared for a period of forty days to his disciples. And he wanted to prove to them without any shadow of a doubt that he was alive. Because many people believed, of course, that he was dead and that, the, uh, that uh, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away from out of the tomb so that uh, it, this whole thing of the resurrection would be a farce. Uh, but, it, uh, but it wasn't. And so Jesus hung around, so to speak, for 40 days in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. He said, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he gives the specific uh, note of it here in verse number 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, in my Bible, these words are in red letters. And uh, Jesus here is saying, in just a few days, uh, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit. I know you're familiar with baptism. You, you have heard about John the Baptist. He was the baptizer. But the Holy Spirit is coming in a short period of time, and he's going to baptize you. Verse number 6 says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I am repeatedly amazed at how one track the mind of the disciples were. All they were, seemed to be interested in was the kingdom. Uh, would Jesus, when would Jesus, will he restore the kingdom to Israel? Will, will they ever be a supreme nation? And he answers them in verse 7, and he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You know, every now and then there is somebody that comes in America or someone else and tells you or me that the Lord is coming on a specific date to restore his kingdom. Uh, 
I have a book back there in my library. I don't know why I don't, I don't throw it away. I just keep it around just to, just to have it. I think that that particular guy said that Jesus was going to come in uh, uh, 1988 or something. And um, people are always saying things. They're always setting dates. And Jesus said, listen, that's not for you to know those things. But he, verse number 8, he says, this is what I want you to know, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is interesting. Jesus said, listen, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you are baptized by the Spirit. And then after that happens, you're going to receive the power of God. And then I want you to go take my message, first of all, beginning in Jerusalem, then moving out in Judea and then Samaria. And then I want you to take the message to the ends of the earth. Uh, and you and I sitting here today in this church are living proof that the disciples did a pretty good job. Uh, they just didn't uh, preach the gospel in Jerusalem and stay there. They just didn't preach in Judea and stay there or Samaria. Uh, they went to the ends of the earth. And here we are. And I don't know how many miles it is from here to Jerusalem. I think it's six or 7,000 miles from here to there. But uh, that's what Jesus told them to do. Take the message of Christ's resurrection to the ends of the world. Verse 13, let's look there. They went there into an upper room, the church, after Jesus was ascended into heaven. And in verse 14, it says, They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. These people were together. They were together praying. They were praying for each other. They were praying for uh, the Lord's uh, will to be fulfilled in their life. And they were waiting on God, but they didn't have long to wait. About 10 days. And after a period of 50 days, we have now another festival in Israel. The first one, remember, was Passover. And the Bible says that Christ was our Passover. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. But now we have the festival of Pentecost. And Pentecost was the festival of harvest. And when the day of Pentecost, in chapter 2, verse 1, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Uh, the church is waiting and they are praying. They're doing what the Lord asked them to do. And suddenly there came a sound. And for those of you who were here last week, I ask you to circle or underline these specific events that took place on the day of Pentecost. First of all, there is a sound of wind, not the actual wind, but just the sound of it. Now, wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is invisible. You can't see wind. But boy, I'll tell you, you can see the results of wind, can't you? You can see the effects of wind. And so it symbolizes the Holy Spirit. We can't see the Spirit, but I'll tell you what, when the Spirit moves, things happen, amen? The Spirit comes moving through, and you say, whoa, man, isn't this neat? I can sense that the Spirit is moving. The second thing that happened, let's look at it. A rushing mighty wind, it filled the whole house, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now, this is interesting. 
I was reading a commentary just this last week, and the commentator said this, that he believed that, you know, fire in the Bible is a symbol of God. When the Lord led the nation of Israel through the wilderness, it was a, a pillar of what? Of fire. Uh, whenever Moses was spoken to by God, it was the burning bush, right? And so fire is a, fire is a symbol of God. And the commentator was saying that he believed that whenever these people, 120 of them, were meeting in the upper room, this fireball, if you will, this fireball came down in that room. It was just a ball of fire. And then all of a sudden, it began to divide, to separate itself. And this is just the little visual picture that we think it looked like. That fireball came down into that room and God was saying, listen, I'm here. I'm on the scene. Here I am. And he said that it had actually could have two meanings. First of all, that was the church. That was the infant church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the fire of the Holy Spirit was coming upon the church as a whole, corporately, the group the assembly. And the Lord does do that, you know. The Lord comes down on churches, and churches do the work of God because God has instituted the church. Sometimes we get discouraged with the church. Uh, sometimes we wonder if the church is very effective at all. But, uh, but the, the meaning of this is that God comes down to empower the church, and the church, if it's walking like that church did, can do some pretty neat things together. But in addition to empowering the church, the Holy Spirit was saying to the people, I'm going to empower you individually. Because, you know, there are projects that the church has to do, and then there are projects that you have to do. And, you know, we don't spend all of our life meeting in church. We just spend a portion of our life meeting in church. And for those of old-timers, you remember, we used to spend all of our life in church. But those days are not here anymore. And so we have this divided fire, and the Lord is saying, listen, I have a ministry for you. You're going to meet in the church, and you're going to cooperate with the church, but listen, you're going to go out, and you're going to do your thing all week long. And so you need the power of God, like the church needs the power of God. Now, isn't that cool? Every church needs the power of God, doesn't it? So they were meeting together. They were, they were all on the same page. And here comes the fire of God in their midst. Let's look at verse number four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I have an asterisk there in my note, and that means I'm coming back there later, okay? They were all filled. I, I, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, here in Acts chapter 2, it is clear what these other tongues are. If you'll look to me in verse number 6, it explains it. Everyone heard them speak in their own language. The word language here is dialectos in the Greek and English, and it's dialect, dialects, or mother tongue. All of these people were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and they all had a mother tongue. You know, they were from every nation under heaven. 
This was a big event that people came from around the world. And all of a sudden, these people that, had, that the Spirit had touched went outside the meeting room. This is cool. You know, it's easy to serve the Lord in the meeting room. But the action, too, is outside, right? I've told you before, Joanne and I, we used to take our family every year to Nags Head, North Carolina, and all the people said amen. Uh, and uh, we go to the ocean, and we go to this little Baptist church down there in uh, Nags Head, and they had a sign at the back of the church, and it, it, every time you walk out, it said, you're now entering the mission field. And the sign, it's a thought-provoking statement, but it's true. And so uh, these people went out of the meeting room. You know, it's one thing for us to come together and have a good time in church, and that's important, and focus on church projects. That's important. But I'll tell you, we're going to leave, and we're going to go outside. And they went outside, and they began, listen to this, they began to speak in other languages that they had never learned. Now, that was a miracle. Because people were there from all over the world, and they began to hear these Galileans, uneducated. They knew they hadn't been to a university. They began to speak in their mother tongue. And they thought, my, you know the story of the Bible. Uh, there was a mixed reaction. Some people said, listen, they're drunk, we know it. Peter said, listen, they're not, trust me. Uh, other people said uh, other things, but it was a confusing time. But what happened is it created a crowd. God knows how to get a crowd together. Uh, what happened here on the day of Pentecost? We like to use the term the helper's indwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is when the Holy Spirit came down in, in response to the promise of Jesus. Remember he said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will be with you and in you forever. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down in this room to be in the believer's forever. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't think this is something that we could draw to our attention too much. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. We are the temple of God. And this is where it all began, right here on Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit came down and made their bodies his temple. Uh, we call it the indwelling. We also call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, where do we get that? Well, let's look up here in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. These are the words of Jesus. Let's read it together. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. What Jesus is saying here is, that, is this. John baptized in the Jordan River, but you shall be baptized in a few days with the Holy Ghost. That's why we term, make this terminology the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, uh, there's another verse which explains it uh, from another perspective. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And let's read this together. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all made to drink into one spirit. Now I want you to notice there in the first line, it says, for by one spirit, capital S, that means what? The Holy Spirit, right? We are all, not some, but all. Now if you put this into context in the, in the church at Corinth, they had some pretty wild things going on in that church. There were a lot of unspiritual people there. But Paul was saying all of them, unspiritual or not, had been baptized, placed into one body. The one body is later defined in verse 27 as the body of Christ. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down and placed those believers into the one body, the body of Christ. Uh, whenever we're saved, we become a part of Christ's body on earth. He is the head, we are his members. He's supposed to do the thinking, we're supposed to do the acting. He's supposed to be the commander, we're supposed to be his foot soldiers. And so whenever we're saved and God puts us in the congregation, uh, he places us there where he wants us to be. And it's really neat whenever you find your place in the congregation, uh, what God wants you to do there. Uh, sometimes it takes a long time to figure that out. But in the meantime, the way to find out what, what God wants you to do is just say, Lord, here am I, use me. Uh, here are my hands, here's my heart, here's my voice, here's my legs, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's a good way to begin. Here, the Holy Spirit took these Corinthian Christians and placed them into Christ's body. Whether they were Jews or Gentiles, it didn't make any difference about their nationality. Whether they were bond or free, it didn't make any difference about their social status. They've been all made to drink into one spirit. That means partake. Uh, and so... We believe this is what happened at Pentecost. God began to form his body on earth, the body of Christ. Let me say this to you. The church is God's body on earth. That blows your mind. It blows my mind. Jesus ascended into heaven. He says, listen, now you are my body on earth. Now you are invested with the work that I started on earth. There's another term that we can use. You know, we can use the word baptism of the Spirit. We can use the word received. That simple word, received. For instance, in Acts chapter 10, verse 47, Peter said, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? And so a lot of times people get hung up on terms. You know, and they say, well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit means this, and this means that. Let's just get simple, okay? Let's just use the word received. On the day of Pentecost, the believers received the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
It's just that simple. But we find here in verse number four, look at this. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said they were going to be baptized by the Spirit. But here the scripture says they were all filled with the Spirit. And I believe this. I believe that on Pentecost, two things happened. First of all, they received the Holy Spirit. And then they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is defined by the word filled. Because just receiving the Holy Spirit does not necessarily empower a person to preach the gospel. Because you know many people who claim to be a Christian and they have no power. And they are defeated. And they are discouraged. There's no power in their life. The power came in the life of a Christian when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, that's another issue. Now, hold your place here in Acts and turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. I want to show you an important verse there. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul, again, is talking to the Ephesian Christians. And he talks to them about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he uses an analogy here. And in verse number 18, the scripture says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. God's trying to get through, is he? Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. The uh, New Century Translation says, Do not be drunk with wine which will ruin your life. The Bible everywhere teaches against drunkenness. Uh, but Paul uses this analogy. He says, we all know what a person acts like when they're drunk. We know that they're under the influence of something else. Don't be under the influence of something else, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the word filled here is a command. Every Christian is commanded to be filled by the Spirit. And it's a present tense command, which means we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit continually. It's just not a one-time experience like the baptism of the Spirit. It is a, an experience that God expects us to incorporate in our life every day of our life. Why did the church have so much power when it started out? The Bible says they were all filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Just think of this. Every single person in the church was controlled, not by themselves, not by peer pressure, not by anything but the Lord. They were controlled by God. That's why the church was so powerful. The whole church was under the control of God. Now, there are conditions to this filling, one of which is surrender. You know, you can't be controlled unless you are surrendered to the Lord. Another is emptiness. You know, you can never fill up something that's already full. And this is why a lot of times Christians never really come to their full potential because they're so full of themselves. 
They have, they have so many goals and so many dreams and so many aspirations and so many things they've got going in their life that they are filled up here with themselves and they can't be filled with the Spirit. And in order to be filled with the Spirit, they have to empty themselves of themselves. And that's really hard to do, you know, in American culture. To pour out yourself so that God can pour himself into you. A lot of times this happens through bad experiences in our life. When God takes things away from us that we hold dear to us, that we cherish, and we want for our own, and God takes it under his command to empty ourselves out so that we can be an empty vessel for his spirit. And I'm sure if the real truth were known that so many of the people of God who have been filled with the spirit have not emptied themselves out, but God has emptied them out. They became empty because God took those things out of their life uh, remember how many people remember, boy, it's getting harder and harder all the time when you could pull up, to, and I, won't, I don't want to linger on, on, on gasoline. It's not a good subject right now. Okay. How many people can remember we used to pull in the gas station and say, fill it up. Uh, that's when somebody actually came and did it for you. That's a, a while ago, wasn't it? Well, you know, what God wants us to do here is in the morning when we come to the Lord, what, what we are to say to God is this, Lord, fill it up. Remember, God can't fill what's already full. And so we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, it's not my will today, it's your will. It's not my goal today, it's your goal. Change my goals, Lord, if, if they mess with yours. Fill it up. Because, you know, the experience of the Christian life is, is that you can run real strong one day and the next day it's like you could be like out of gas. Huh? You're going down the road hoping you can get to the next gas station. That's why we have to come. That's why the command is for us to do it continually. Because God knows we run out and we have to be once again filled by the Lord. And so we do that when we come into our quiet time and when we meet with God in the morning and we say, Lord, today can't be about me. It's got to be about you. Fill me up, Lord. And so that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. These people were emptied out and they were filled by God. They were controlled by God. Pentecost is about harvest, too, and the whole festival of Pentecost was celebration of what God had done for them. Deuteronomy 8.18 is a wonderful verse, and I, I want to always remind myself. Let's read this. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Let's stop. It's the Lord that gives you the power to get wealth. This is why they came together at Pentecost. The harvest had come in. They were happy, man. Their crops made it. And so they were praising the Lord, kind of like a Thanksgiving service you know, or in, our, in our world. We come together and we say, Lord, we're going to thank you for this. This is big. And so the Lord says, listen, when I, when I give you the harvest, I want you to come and I want you to thank me. And that's what they were doing. But this is a good thought to keep in our mind. For it is he that gives you the power to get wealth, the Lord. 
We have to always remember this, and I know it's so easy to forget, because oftentimes we look at somebody and we say, boy, this person really knows what they're doing. Look at the success they've had. They built that company, and they put all this stuff together, and man, look what's happening, and we give them the glory, and God says, here, listen, I want you to know who the real provider is. Here a while back, there was somebody in our church, and, and they, um, they were complaining about their company. Their company wasn't taking care of them the way they thought the company should take care of them. Listen, I have news for you. We are not to look to our company to take care of us. We are to look to God. He is our only source. There are no guarantees with anybody's company. Companies are good at doing other things to you, not taking care of you sometimes. We have to always remember this. It's not the company's job to take care of you. It's God's job to take care of you. The company may be the medium that blesses you, but behind it all, it's God. Amen? God gives you the power to go to work. He gives you the power to... To think at work, he gives you the power to make decisions. He gives you the he gives you everything, and so this is why they came together to celebrate. Uh, they were happy. This was the harvest. Pentecost is also about greater works. Remember, Jesus said, "Greater works than these you're going to do when I go to my Father." It's about greater boldness. Look at Peter. What a great example is he? Uh, right before Jesus was crucified, Peter was denying the Lord three times. He didn't want to be associated with the Lord at all. He didn't want to be noted as his disciple. And now, in Acts chapter 2, he gets up and he preaches on the day of Pentecost. I read this on the treadmill this morning. I have this Bible. It has, it has letters about this big. And uh, I was reading the first two chapters on the treadmill this morning. Now, I don't suggest you do that because you could fall off and get killed. You know, it's dangerous. I've learned how to do it. Now, watch. I'll boast. I'll come in here next week with a burn arm. I was reading the Bible on the treadmill. I'm sure they put that in the instructions. Please do not do anything like that. But I, I said to myself this morning, I want to read the first two chapters. And I was on the treadmill, and I was reading away my big letters. And... Uh, I was reading about how Peter, I read his sermon, how he got up and how he preached about the resurrection of Jesus. He had greater boldness. He wasn't the person he was before because he had the power of God. Greater love, too. They had, they had the love of God. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he gives you a greater love, and this is so cool. You know, I'm a duty-oriented person. You know what that is? I, th I think... Uh, some of the men of our church especially are, are like this. Uh, John Dre, I think, John, you were telling me one time, you're a duty person. You report for duty. And if, it, if somebody says it's to be done, you'll do it until you expire. You, know? you do it out of duty. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a person like that. I, I, do, I serve out of duty. But, you know, duty can't go the distance that love can go. Do you know that? Duty has a limit. Love doesn't. And so on the day of Pentecost, the disciples received the love of God. And so they went out into a world not only to do their duty to the Lord, 
but to do it because they had a greater motivation, and that, and that was their love for the Lord. They had greater love. That's what Pentecost is about, giving us greater love. They had greater power. I love 1 John 4, 4. Let's, uh, let's look at that. Let's read this. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'll tell you, this is something that's really real. When God's Spirit moves into our heart, he has, we have greater power. Now, to be sure, there are powers out there that are, against, that are against you that are great, but always remind yourself of this verse. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's comforting, isn't it? To know that you can go out there and go to battle and be on the winning side because you have the Lord. I heard a true story about a man who lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. He considered himself a Christian. He said this, I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran right behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from a distance and then the clicking of the wheels moving over the tracks. We became disturbed when on Sunday we noticed cries coming out of the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week that train whistle would blow and we would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry out to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people. Yet, the screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time that whistle would blow, and we decided the only way to keep from being disturbed by their cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time that train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. And if some of the screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it much anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. We don't just need a zeal in the church that will keep us singing but we need one that will compel us to go out into the highways and the hedges of this lost world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We need the kind of zeal that Moses had when Moses said, God, just blot me out of your book, but save these people. We need the zeal that Paul had when he said, I wish myself were cursed from Christ if my people could be saved. George Whitfield said one time, Lord, give me souls or take my soul. General William Booth of the Salvation Army said, I am so tired, but I must go on. A fire in my bones, oh God, what can I say? Souls, 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 my heart longs for souls. R.A. Torrey said one time, I would rather win souls than be the greatest king on the earth, the greatest general that ever commanded an army, 
the greatest poet that ever walked the earth, my one ambition in life is to win as many souls as possible. That's what Pentecost was about. Pentecost was the Lord's Spirit coming down on the church, getting their tongue on fire for souls. To take the message of Christ to the people. And it was very effective on that date. Peter preached his sermon with the power of God. 3,000 souls came to Christ on that one day. 3,000. What a harvest. What a harvest. Uh, I want us to leave the church today with that image in our mind. That the power of God, we want the power of God on our church. But we also want the power of God over our head. And I want the power of God over your head. When you go out to work this week, I want you to look up and kind of envision it, okay? There's a little flame burning right up there above your head. And God wants to set your tongue on fire from heaven with his message of redemption for the world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, let us, uh, let us ask the Lord to fill us with the Spirit. Let's write it in bold letters in our Bible. Tomorrow morning, I'm getting up and I'm getting filled up before I get into this world. I'm going to empty myself of my dreams and my goals and my aspirations. And I'm going to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done out there. And I'm willing, Lord, to let you empty me if I could be filled more with you. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Let's pray this prayer often, daily, and sometimes throughout the day as well. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. That means control me, Lord. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. It is so helpful to us. I pray that these words will be emblazoned upon our heart today, that you have a mission for us this week. It's about what we say to the people that are around us about the wonderful works of God. We pray that you'll bless us now as we uh, sing our concluding song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, God is so good. And if you'd like to come and pray, just feel free to do that as we sing to the Lord.